the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Every day we're counting down another team in our uh, Cofield and Company rankings. The Falcons are up. Are you high on the Falcons? I'm, I'm kind of confused on them a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like there's some playmakers on defense. I feel like they could be okay there. And, of course, you, you look at the names on offense, you're like, yeah, okay, I think this could work. Uh, we have at number 24. Uh, and like you, I'm a little up in the air on how I'm going to bet the Falcons for futures. Uh, Brian Finneran played in the NFL. He does radio in Atlanta. Uh, but, you know, before we get to any of that, the one team I am going to fade – Sir, is uh, or are the Cowboys? Because I did not like what I saw last night at all on Hard Knocks. I'm out on the Cowboys. I'm out. Hey, what's up? I'm sorry, guys. That's all uh, right. It's all right. That's all right. My bad. I watched Hard Knocks last night as well. I was yeah. um, I was not that entertained, but I wonder no. how much COVID plays a factor because you can't get the in-depth coverage you want to get and the stories from the locker room and training room and everything else. But uh, it, it, it they still got some players. I think Micah Parsons is going to be a monster. That dude it seems like he loves football. Zeke, yep. uh, 10 pounds lighter. I, I just, I don't know. Uh, Dak scares you with the shoulder, but I feel like they'll be okay. I'm still disturbed by how much Jerry Jones is involved in conversations. And the other thing is, uh, I could make no sense of his breakfast sandwich. I didn't get what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> dude, who put salt on the McGriddle? What the hell was that move? And it's already salty enough. enough. You're, you're 80 years old, Jerry. What are you doing? It was nuts. I couldn't figure it out. I was like, I get it if you open up the trick to top off of the McGriddle and pour it on the whole thing, but it was almost like he was dipping it in salt, the way he was handling that whole thing. So a little disturbing. I was I was unimpressed with Mike McCarthy. I don't know why. It just seemed like there wasn't any substance there, but I don't know. These things, we always have jump to these conclusions when you see these things for the first time, and maybe they'll get better as the as it progresses. You know, it's a theme I've been talking about with all the hires around the National Football League. It's kind of the, to me, McCarthy's kind of the old school, like big galoot. Uh, Dan Campbell, I feel like, you know, is like the big guy. And then you get, the you know, Arthur, you get Arthur yeah. Smith and you get, you know, some of the younger guys who are like the smart dudes who weren't necessarily like big time football players. What's your impression so far in Falconland? So um, I got a little more insight than normal just because I'm good friends with Harry Douglas, who was a receiver uh, that played in in that system for a minute when Arthur Smith was the tight ends coach. So he loves – Harry Douglas loves Arthur Smith. Um, uh, a, a sentiment of a little old-school feel to him with uh, the new-school kind of communication and, and talking to guys and understanding what how, how to handle – NFL football players. So I think it's a nice mix. I think in today's football, you need to have that discipline. You need to have that, uh, that, that drive and that old school attitude, but also with that new school mindset where you can talk to dudes. And if you, if a guy needs a day off, Calvin Ridley needs a day off, give him a day off. If he needs to be right. protected from himself, he's coming off a foot or ankle cleanup and surgically this off season. So, but he's out there all the time. So it's almost like somebody's got to go, just tell him to settle down a little bit and take a back seat for a minute. And I think Arthur Smith does a good job. Arthur Smith has implemented 
something at Falcons training camp I haven't seen since Dan Reeves was my head coach back in uh, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, and that's called the penalty lap. So Dan Reeves used to do it after practice. So anytime you had made a bad mental mistake, jumped off sides, um, did something silly on offense or defense, uh, out, out, out of the realm of what should be happening, he made a mental note of it, wrote it down, and at the end of practice, when we were stretching out, he called those guys out in front of everybody. And anywhere from one to six or seven dudes would walk to the sideline and have to sprint a lap around the football field after practice was over. This is when double days was a real thing, and pads were worn twice a day. Um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was old school, and it was, there was a discipline factor. There was an attention to detail that he was trying to stress. Arthur Smith has brought that back, but Arthur will go, like Hayden Hurst, like the third or third or fourth practice of the of the off season of the training camp, jumps off sides, and you just see Arthur Smith walk up into the backfield of the play and point to the sideline and say "Go," and you see you see Hayden Hurst take this walk of shame to the sideline and then start jogging. They weren't timed like we were with Dan Reeves, but you definitely had to run the perimeter of the football field, which. Which I like. It holds everybody accountable, and it, and it makes everybody realize that th- certain things are super important. It's probably not even fair to ask this, but Arthur Smith does come from a billionaire family. Like, is it is it tougher for a football coach to to earn respect when you know everybody knows their background like that? It's such a good question because I think it crosses everybody's minds, and I didn't know that. I, I knew Arthur Smith was the tight end coach, and then the OC in Tennessee. But not until the Falcons were courting him and trying to make him their head coach <laughs> did you do a little more research and realize the guy's dad runs FedEx and is like a multi-multi-billionaire. So you're just like, what in the world, a millionaire? What, what am I going to do with this? Um, I just, I don't, I think they, I think they have double-digit kids, um, the Smith family, and Arthur Smith's one of, I want to say, 11, 9 or 11 kids. So, with that said, I just think there's a different mentality when you grow up in an environment like that, where everybody has to pull their own weight. Nobody's going to get away with anything. Everybody's going to have to do their their job, and I think he's brought that to the football field as well. I I had a chance to hang out with him. The Falcons did a nice deal uh, a month and a half ago and brought Arthur Smith and um, Terry Fontenot to a uh, brewery and invited a bunch of the local media guys, and we just got to hang out, have a few beers, get five or ten minutes with the guys and, and uh, get to know them a little bit. And he's super down to earth. You wouldn't know for a second the guy's, got, guy's family has more money than God. So I really don't think it plays a role. If anything, it helps him realize uh, how special it is to be what, do what he's doing today. We're previewing uh, the team we think is number 24 in the NFL. Maybe that's a little bit low. Brian Finneran played for him. He does radio in Atlanta. Uh, Brian, of course, a, a longtime receiver out of Villanova. He was with uh, the Falcons for upwards of uh, 10, 11 years. So – Guy at uh, wide receiver and Julio Jones has moved on. Clearly, it's a loss on the field. What about off? I, I often wondered with Julio Jones if he was becoming such a distraction that it was becoming counterproductive at times. It's a. I think you're. I think you're onto something. I think different rules were in place for Julio Jones, and I think it hurt this football team. I, here's what I also think. I also think his hamstring injury last year. Um was not that bad, but the team was so bad, it didn't make sense for him to try to fight through it and get back on the football field. If that was a team that was 8-3 and three, and they had you know 
five games left in the season and, and he needed to miss one or two, I get it. But there's no way he would have missed seven games uh, based off of what he did, what he did, what he has done over his career. I think the team was so bad, they lost so many games in so many ridiculous fashions that it didn't make sense for him, him to even be on the field. And then the writing was kind of on the wall. But there was that aspect that you're alluding to, and I've only seen it really a couple other times. Michael Vick, late in his career when I was here, and D'Angelo Hall got some preferential treatment because, you know, those guys are superstars, but mm. it's got to be subtle. If it's not subtle, it's not going to work. Tony Gonzalez, uh, in one of Mike Smith's last years, wanted to stay home and watch his kid play football in California um, and not come to training camp for the first two weeks. And they're like, okay, no problem. And that really rose people the wrong way as well. So that was an issue there. And then in Julio Jones' case, I think the lack of practice time, the preferential treatment he's gotten throughout the course of his career, especially late in his career, I think it does hurt team camaraderie. And uh, people start wondering, you know, you wonder, you don't wonder, you go, how come he gets it? And then you stop and think about it. The guy's going to be a walking Hall of Famer, so that's why. But it's hard to run. I think you look at Bill Belichick and Tomlin and guys like that. I think you look at those guys, and I don't know how much preferential treatment guys on those teams are getting. Uh, Kyle Pitts, we think, could be a superstar. My theory on Kyle Pitts is that he is going to be awesome and have a tremendous year, and we're still going to look at it and say, oh, that's all he did? Like the expectations are out of control. Expectations out of control. Uh, is it Ditka who has the greatest tight end uh, rookie year ever, um, which was still like seventy or eighty catches and thousand yards and eight or nine touchdowns? It's, it's just it's hard as a tight end to be implemented and used super effectively because you got three receivers you got to use, you got two running backs you got to get involved, you got another tight end that's going to be involved in Hayden Hurst, so. It's hard to focus on a guy like Hayden Hurst, but with that said, having been at training camp the last two weeks in the scrimmage they had at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Saturday uh, last week, it was um, he is he's special. Um, he's got the size and the ability. I my biggest concern for Kyle Pitts is his ability to line up attached to the tackle, put his hand in the dirt, and be effective there. I mean, just a little bit effective to move guys. Are we going to be able to run, if he's lined up as a left tight end with his hand in the dirt on the line of scrimmage next to the tackle, can we run right behind him once or twice a game just to keep teams honest? And then I have no problem with him cutting guys off or motioning across the line of scrimmage and cut blocking a defensive end, stuff like that. That's not going to be his forte, obviously. The dude is a sick athlete, 6'6", a wingspan of a seven-footer, uh, 240, 45 pounds, and big-time jumping ability. I watched him in, in red zone drills and, and team and seven-on-seven periods during training camp so far, and he just goes up and gets the ball. Matt Ryan trusts him, and Matt Ryan told me the other day, he said, this is the, the greatest thing about Kyle Pitts is he's humble, he wants to learn, he's listening, and he's got a lot to, lot to learn about it. There's one thing I noticed in the scrimmage. He ran a route. It was a deep 15-yard out, and he ran it kind of from the slot, uh, maybe a little wider than the slot, and it he just the coverage itself dictated the fact that the ball shouldn't come to him, right? But Matt Ryan didn't care, and huh. Matt ended up throwing it to the sideline where he was going. But when Kyle came out of the route, he was he was half-assing it, and he didn't think the ball was coming to him. And I and I kind of don't blame him because the coverage, watching it myself, because I just I focused on him for whatever reason. He had a corner underneath him, a safety over the top, and there was pretty tight coverage. 
And when he came out of the route, you just could see him just not be full speed and half-assed it. Matt trusted him to get out to the sideline, threw the ball perfectly a yard from the sideline, and Kyle Pitts was, was dogging it, and he never got to the football. He went off his fingertips. And I thought to myself, he, that is a great learning lesson there because he's got to know Matt will throw it to him at any point in any situation on the football field at any time. Is the biggest loss for this team Raheem Morris? I mean, that sounds crazy, but they were so improved defensively uh, in the second half. Are they fine at D.C.? Um, I think so. Um, I think when you switch to a 3-4 defense, you got to have certain kind of players around you, and I don't know if the Falcons have those guys on this football team. I don't know if they have the depth to run that 3-4 defense, but Dean Pease told us in another interview we did uh, a month and a half ago, um, you really only play your base defense like 30% of the game. You're a nickel a million times, especially in the NFC South. We've got all those receivers and quarterbacks that can wing it around. So they're going to be a nickel a ton. Um, our biggest concern is finding guys that can get pressure off the edge, and we haven't been able to do that since John Abraham left here. You can say Vic Beasley was one of those guys, but he really wasn't, in my opinion. He got lucky. <laughs> I hate to say that, too, uh, with a 15-and-a-half sack year, but it was everything kind of worked for him. So, um Defensively, uh, there's there's a they, losing Raheem Morris was uh, was a hit, but gaining Dean Dean Pease I think will be one of those things where in the first four weeks of the season it becomes very difficult for other teams that are scouting you to figure out what the hell you're going to be doing. You're in whole, totally new scheme, new defense, new players, new DC, new everything. So you could literally go three and one in the first four games lose at Tampa Bay in the first couple weeks and then take care of business with the other guys and feel pretty good about the first quarter of the season just because uh, of the new system and and people being unfamiliar with what you're doing. Ryan Fenner is with us playing the NFL and now he's doing the uh, morning show on 680 The Fan. All right, uh, betting-wise, what do we do? Seven and a half is the over-under win total. Do we go over? we go under? What do you do? Seven and a half feels really, really disrespectful, (laughs) although uh, I got guys I work with think they're going to win nine or 10, 11 games. I wow. don't know if they make the postseason. I don't see that happening just because of the change in, in regime, the, the losing Julio Jones, a brand-new defense. You can get lucky and catch lightning in the bottle, but I think eight and nine is very attainable. I even think nine and eight is, is a doable thing. So if I was a betting man, um, I, would, I would head over. Um, I wouldn't break the bank on this team because there's just too many unknowns. But seven and a half feels a little low. Brian, that was awesome, man. We appreciate a couple minutes today, and hopefully we get to talk to you later in the season, okay? All right, fellas. You got it. There he is, Brian Finneran, a Villanova guy and a wide receiver who kind of grinded his way into the NFL. Not just because he was white, but he kind of did. <laughs> so played 10 years in the NFL, and you can hear some good old stories there. And But that was pretty interesting on Kyle Pitts. Uh, one – that he learned a lesson there, like, uh, you know, Matt Ryan can zip it and he's going to trust you, so freaking let's go, run the G-damn route. And the other one is uh, your point about no matter what he does, it's underwhelming, but historically tight ends don't come into the league the first year and no. do anything from a number standpoint. And he's right. The all-time single uh, – the all-time rookie yardage leader for, you know, for that for rookie season is actually Ditka back in 61 with 1,076 yards. I mean, I think I think if, if – if he had 1,076 yards, there would be some people who would look at Kyle Pitts and go, really? That's it? He sucks. But, again, historically, uh, 
there's barely five guys who've had over like 800 yards, 750 yeah. yards their yeah. rookie year at tight end in the National Football League. If he had a top five season for a tight end that wasn't number one, a top five Which, all time, yep. people would be like, oh, what a bust. Which is exactly why when you've got a quarterback like Matt Ryan, who's you know pushing 36 years old, I think his cap hit the next couple of years gets crazy. I am not taking a tight end unless you can guarantee it that he's going to be Kelsey, he's going to be Kittle, he's going to be Waller. I'm not taking him in the top five. Not when there's quarter. If one, if one or two of these quarterbacks turns out and they had a chance to get him at four yeah. or trade back and still get him, that's going to be a disaster down the road when you look at the Falcons, especially if they're without a good quarterback for a while and this was the year they could have grabbed him and instead they grabbed the tight end. Yeah, and I don't think they, you know, I know he's listed as a tight end. He'll line up a tight end. He'll line up more at receiver, I would imagine. And that's how they were drafting him. Uh, you have to be a game changer. Now, would I take Travis Kels? Yes, it is Kels. Uh, would I take Travis Kels in the uh, first round with the top five pick? Yeah, probably. Darren Waller, I would think about it. Like a guy like that, but they're so rare and so few and far between uh, that it's real, real tough to pass up a quarterback for that. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Let's not even talk about the future. They've got to know what they got as a backup right now. Good point. And, And I think a lot of people are missing that when they're talking about the summer of love and all of those other things in the future. No, we, we need to know what he is just in case Aaron Rodgers misses some time mm-hmm. because he's missed time in the past. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 All right, valid point there from uh, Keyshawn Johnson. They do need a backup. I don't know if Jordan Love's ready to be the backup. We're going to find out. If, if uh, preseason means anything, he's getting a lot of playing time. Uh, by the way, going back to the Falcons conversation, why would it matter if the head coach comes from a rich family? Like as a player, you would care. Um, you just you you dislike the rich that much that it would like it would keep you unmotivated if your boss was super rich. No, it wouldn't for me. I do think there's people that look and say, "You want me to? You want me to do what? You want me to run? Really? What'd you do your whole? I don't. Life? I don't think anyone. Well, he he actually Arthur Smith played football. Sure. So he played. He was a four-year lineman at North Carolina. So he's not. He's not some because yeah, I'm talking about big glutes versus kind of the the thinking man nerds. And he's kind of the mix. He did. Yeah. I mean, the guy played. He played guard at North Carolina. He's you know six four and two eighty five when he played. I mean, he played the game. Yeah. Sure. I, I just so you look at you you I, look at others as uh, they they got a head start. So it's like, hey, did you really have to work like you're asking me to? Hey, you played football because it was fun, and you, then you go home to your billion dollar house. Like, the, boy, you hate the rich. Boy, you hate the rich. I didn't say me. I said there could be that attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb Herring is with us. What's up, Caleb? <laughs> What's up, man? I, gee, I didn't know Adam despised the rich so much. That's, oh that's yeah, eat the, rich. I mean, eat the rich. Eat the rich. Eat the rich, and he's very anti nepotism, as we all should be. Yes. Unless it's your <laughs> kid that you're you know bringing up and giving advantages to, then obviously, then none of us are objective on that one. Although I will tell you, John Von Tobel. Uh, he is a bastard with his kid. There's no doubt. He's he is going to make that kid work for everything. Um, if that kid wants to get into broadcasting, he's going to be like, "Do not use my name. I'm not giving you a handout. Earn it. Earn it. Your own on your own merit, man. It's, it's a valuable lesson to learn. I don't know how far you're 
willing to go to teach it, but I think it is a valuable lesson. <laughs> I, I, I have kid. spoken to JVT. He's he's on the extreme end of that spectrum. If we're going to say anything about three. it, that's awesome. He's already got his discipline all laid out through, for the kid through the age of 21. All right, let's talk about the uh, big story at UNLV the last week or so, and that is Desiree Reed Francois off to the SEC. She's left UNLV. She's taken the Missouri job, and I've seen some fans out there say good riddance. Do you agree? I, you know, I can't say I agree necessarily. I can understand it. I can see where they're coming from, and you look at the fact that you know, from the public's perspective of what we and, and the public eye, I guess, measure success in the athletic program by, which is winning. Um, I, you could say that there's, there's an argument that things have gotten worse under her watch, right? On the, the major sports, the, the two really uh, big sports of major universities, which is football and basketball, things have, have kind of gotten worse. And, you know, not just winning and lo- losing, but with, you know, T.J. Altsberger, one of her, her hires, essentially in and out and kind of changing things. And then the amount of money that she's invested in the coaches now that, that the next athletic director will kind of be stuck with, with Marcus Arroyo and uh, with Kruger's course, uh, th- those contracts are, you know, uh, big investments in, into the program, programs. And if those don't work out, then, you know, uh, what is the program left with? Um, I, I think a, a lot of the, the attitude and demeanor kind of you know, are reasonably so if you really look at the things that, that kind of took place over the last several years. Um, the achievements of the university and the things that, you, you know, you sort of hang your hat on, um, the advancements uh, for the university, especially from a football standpoint, uh, which is pretty much the biggest advancement that have been made, um, with the Fertitta Complex and, of course, the Legion Stadium, uh, you could say, as a fan, as as a stand, as a, as a, someone who's followed the program, that those things could be attributed to someone else, um, and not necessarily the athletic director. So, um, I think everybody kind of had the perception or the the understanding that uh, Desiree was an ambitious person, and she had uh, goals that were, I think, uh, above UNLV as far as her career aspirations and. Um, she did what was necessary as far as her job and fulfilling her duty that obviously warranted some attention from other schools, and she ended up landing in the SEC. So uh, while I don't say good riddance, I don't you know wish ill on anybody who takes the next step and furthers their career, I do understand where some fans of UNLV Athletics will um, not have the best of taste or the most uh, gracious things to say about her exit and what she did during her stint at UNLV. Okay. Caleb Herring with us, former quarterback for the Rebels, one of the voices of the Rebels on radio, a co-host on the Marcus Oreo radio show, which will be uh, starting up in a couple of weeks as the Rebels on the field in 22 days, and we're wondering who's going to be playing quarterback. I feel like Tate Martell is falling behind a little bit here. Uh, We've been told he's not cleared, but I think he's not cleared because of a thumb issue because he had the thumb operated on. Um, Give me your read on Martell, and I don't know if you got the scene of the video put out by Fox 5, but he was throwing the ball around a little bit. Um, this is quite a journey here to, and we talked about this last week, you know, the basically taking in the freaking program with a fire hose. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's pretty much information overload as far as the office field, I guess, or the uh, intangible, the mental side of the game goes. So that's one thing to, to be dealing with. And also I did see the video of him trying to get out there and throw some balls and doing some individual drills with the, uh, with the quarterbacks and the running backs uh, involved. And, uh, he de- definitely had his thumb taped up. He was shaking it off like it, like it, you know, was causing him some at least mild irritation. Um, so that, you know, as another hurdle that he's going to have to jump over if he's going to be on the field and contributing at quarterback. So um, a lot for him to have to go through. And I think the, the more you stack against him, the, the harder it is. I thought, you know, first initially coming in, if he was going to be you know, competing at the quarterback spot, the main thing would be 
the mental aspect and learning the playbook and, and getting an understanding of things and how things work. I think physically, uh, with his gifts and his ability on the field, I think there's no question he was right in the mix at, at least uh, in the mix at least for competing for the starting job. Um, but it was just going to be a matter of if he could grasp the information. Now you, you throw in another hurdle with the thumb not being probably as far along as he'd hoped. Um, that, that definitely puts him behind the eight ball a little bit as camp rolls on. First scrimmage already in the books today. So, I mean, these are opportunities to compete and to show you got on the field that he's not getting that the other guys are. So, I mean, there, there's all kinds of things that, that go against the guy. And I think Tate Martell's got the deck stacked against him as far as competing for a starting job, at least to his full potential right now. Caleb Herring. Is up with us. All right, so they had a close scrimmage today. We don't have any, any information coming out of that yet. It was at the Al, so at Allegiant. Uh, why? I'm going to ask a simple question. Why is that necessary? Why do you need to get yourself acclimated to the to the big stadium? Um, and I, I mean, I would be, I would ask you based on your playing experience, but you never got to play at a stadium like that. So why is it important <laughs> to get out there and play some of these scrimmages at the Al? Yeah, I mean, it's very important. While I didn't get the Al experience, I did you know have experience playing in bigger stadiums, and there's there's nerves associated with game day prep. And it's not just, you know, necessarily where you're playing the game at, but it's the whole process of a game day ritual or the game day setup that is kind of nerve-wracking, right? Like, it, it's the build-up to uh, kickoff that uh, that you don't get in normal day-to-day practice. The grind of practice is easy. There's different locker rooms. You get up, you go practice, you know the drills. It's going to be whistles blown, all things like that. But the actual pregame dinners, the meetings, the, the, the schedule as far as, uh, early outs and warm-ups and things like that, there's nerves associated with that that any competitive athlete has experienced. Where I, I remember my first game, I literally suited up for my first game in, in college, and this is at Sam Boyd Stadium. So, I, I mean, the ner- I was shaking trying to put my pads on, like my hands. I had the jitters, <laughs> and that kind of experience is, is, is something that can distract from your, your best performance. So I think getting uh, some, quarter, some sort of dress rehearsal, and this may be for – any sort of performance, right? Like you're going up on stage and singing in front of you know thousands of people or whatever, you're going to have nerves the first time if you haven't done it before. And there's a lot of guys in the locker room that maybe haven't done it at least consistently enough to be comfortable with it um, for UNLV. So I think it's important to get that kind of dress rehearsal. And this goes across the board for all all major sports programs to get those dress rehearsals out so that when you get to that moment, it's a little bit easier to deal with those nerves to – to one know where you're going i think last year was kind of uh revealing in that the pregame rituals and the pregame routines coach arroyo was basically teaching those things on the fly so game one that was most of the guys first time going out there and doing the pregame routine that coach arroyo has as his script so those kind of things are important to iron out so that you're not worried about them or stressed out about them or even nervous about them when week one does roll around nfl question to close with caleb Practice matters. It matters to the coaches. I saw the numbers for Jimmy G and Trey Lance being tracked by uh, some cat. And, you know, clearly Trey Lance is, he's got better numbers. I mean, 70% completion, 10 passing touchdowns, a couple interceptions, Garoppolo six and six. Does it matter? Uh, and, you know, and is Lance getting more reps against the, the twos? Uh, does it matter? I think it does, and I think you, you put a, an important qualifier there. It's where those reps are falling, and I think it's, uh, it's important because when you throw stats out like that, you say, yeah, these are, he's doing better, but are those reps 1v1? And you can, obviously both can't have you know, the equal amount of reps with the ones and the equal amount of reps with the twos, but you would think that you know, the two defenses who 
uh, is who's going against with uh, with Lance, right? So the numbers will should be you would think inflated if they're really competing. So the amount of reps they each have with the, the group of ones versus the group of twos is important, and you don't really know that with just looking at that stat line. Um, so th- th- there's that, but I think it does matter in that um, if there is any sort of split reps between the ones and the twos with those two guys, for Lance's confidence, it's it's a definitely uh, putting it through the roof, right? It's saying I can do this. I'm this is my first time competing. I've jumped from Division two all the way up to the NFL, and and I'm I'm able to perform at least to you know to a, a satisfactory degree in practice, and that's huge for his confidence. If you're saying with you know obviously you are with the way you drafted him that he's going to be the guy at some point. Um, so I, I think that's important for his confidence. And the other side of that coin is for Jimmy G's confidence, he has a, a situation now. Am I going to take this as iron sharpening iron, and is it, this going to bring out the best in me? Or am I going to see that and, and realize, hey, this guy's come from my spot. Am I going to fold? Am I going to buckle under that pressure? Um, and will that add pressure to me come game time if I do indeed become a starter uh, or in a I'm going to feel added pressure that I know if I make a mistake, my leash is really short because I got a capable backup that the franchise has already said is the guy of the future. So there's things that that, that those stats do reveal. I think as coaching staff, um, you know the reps and you know who's getting reps with the ones and reps with the twos. So you can weigh it a little bit differently than the public would looking at those stats. Um, but I definitely. I think we lost Caleb. All right, we'll, we'll wrap on that. Uh, Caleb, will be, uh, Caleb will be back on uh, next week former quarterback with the UNLV, and you're going to hear him on the UNLV broadcast and part of the uh, Marcus Arroyo radio show. Fat Pack is on the way, and then we're going to get to uh, Brian Blessing, uh, talk a little gambling, but more importantly, Robin Leonard is on social media. Last couple of days, uh-oh. Want to be part of the show? Tweet at Steve Cofield or call 702-364-1100. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack, brought to you by Nova Home Loans. And there's wine already for tasting, and there's Cadillacs all shiny and new. Gotta move, cause time is a wasting. There's such a lot of living to do. All right, let's do it. Fat Pack here on this Wednesday. Adam Hill is here. Cofield, a couple of good suggestions. Uh, One from our uh, buddy, one of our P1s and uh, content providers, Sean. In or out? We'll make it real simple today on Fat Pack. I got a lot of stories backed up. A lot of stories backed up. In or out? I guess this is at the uh, Guardians games. The... Slider Dog from Happy Dog topped with Fruit Loops, mac and cheese, and bacon. Sweet and cheesy and bacony. I joked last night that I can't eat that because my mom won't let me. You, you don't get to eat cereal, sugary cereal. I was never allowed to eat sugar, sugary cereal as a kid because I was a lunatic would bounce off the walls. So all of you people out there who had Fruit Loops and Count Chocula and Sugar Smacks, never, never. Cocoa and whatever the, 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 the freaking, the gravy, the milk, the sweet and sugary oh. milk. Oh, no shot in hell I'd be able to eat that. So good. Um, and for that reason, I'm not sure that I could, I would try it. 
I'm absolutely in. Yeah, I would try it, but uh, mac and I, cheese I, is delicious. I don't think I could do this. Mac and cheese is delicious. Yeah. Bacon's delicious. Fruit Loops are amazing. Yeah. Hot dogs are good. I mean, do we even have to go with the hot dog? So you're in with the Fruit Loop hot dog. Could I just get mac and cheese topped with bacon and Fruit Loops? I don't yeah. even need the hot you dog. You probably could. Uh, now, this is where I'm just a horse's ass, and I'll contradict all of this. Because as uh, as when I got older, once I could, I was uh, away from mom, uh, I could try anything I wanted. So I was a Mountain Dew-aholic. Okay. There's now a hard Mountain Dew. Maybe it's been around for a while. Why, why but, wouldn't there be? Uh, 5% of alcohol by volume. There are three different kinds. I don't know what the one flavor is, but the others are black cherry and watermelon. I'm in. I might get one on the way home today. Hard Mountain Dew. Zero sugar, it says. What? Which I don't even know how that works. What? I don't know. There are people who are di- uh, diet Mountain Dew devotees. So, Where is this available? I don't know. I hope here. Yeah, I'm go- I'm. No sugar. I'm on the way to going right now. All right. I'm leaving. I'm leaving the show. <laughs> Hard Mountain Dew. Okay. I'm telling you, if I, I I'm going to remember because I already put it ahead on future rundowns. Um, Fat Pack in the future. I got the mini waffle maker. Ooh. Oh boy. Oh boy. Off we go. Starting to make stuff already. Just seen something I made yesterday. Oh, or the other day. Oh, what a tease! The Winnie, the Winnie, the mini waffle maker. Could be the greatest invention ever. Yeah. Oh, man. This could be half my diet. It won't, it won't work. I'll be 10 pounds heavier next make month. egg bites in there. Oh, my God. The possibilities. I was on TikTok yesterday. Mini waffle maker. Recipe, 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 recipe. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's eye on sports gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. All right, Wednesdays we bring in Brian Blessing, who's uh, nice enough to join us from uh, Sirius XM Channel 204, Sports Grid Radio. What's up, Brian? It's good to chat with you boys. How's everything going? Uh, good. The fruit, good. the Fruit Loop thing sent me for a loop. I got news for you. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I could do Fruit Loops on a hot dog. And I'm, I'm a slob, and I'll try everything, but that's a little too much. Adam, thank God we have Adam. I mean, he's the out there guy that will always give us a frame of reference on really nonsensical stuff. Sure. Sure. Yeah, but Mike, I was out. We, we I appreciate was out that. The, I was out on the apple pie hot dog, though. Yeah, that's that doesn't sound good either. No, uh, <laughs> Yeti with the apple pie hot dog. All right, let's uh, let, let's talk about a, a story that's been uh, rolling out the last couple of days. Robin Leonard did a podcast recently, and a couple things came out of it. Adam, give the cliff notes. What were the what was the most important thing you you thought that came out of it? Was the un, was it the underpaid thing? I thought so. I mean, in in. I haven't listened to the full podcast to really understand exactly what was going on, but apparently a lot of people uh, came to the conclusion he was complaining about his salary. He is saying, I'm not complaining about my salary. I'm just pointing out players who have done less than me in the league that have not talked about mental health issues get paid a lot more than I do. Brian, your reaction? I don't know what one has to do with the other. I mean, Neil Pionk, who... I just signed a contract today getting a whisker under $6 million a defenseman for Winnipeg. I mean, the guy's not worth $3 million a year, if you ask me. Then you see Darnell Nurse is a really good defenseman for Edmonton, and they throw him $9.5 bucks. That's ridiculous. 
So I can see Leonard saying, I guess he's underpaid if he was going in relation to some of the really bad contracts that are being thrown around. Sure, but I, I part think, of this, I, I think, don't you think a lot of this stuff, I, in some way, shape, or form for him, maybe it's cathartic, he enjoys doing it, and then, you know, you poke holes at him if he says something, and if he doesn't say anything, so why doesn't he say anything? I don't know. You know, the bottom line is maybe it's a tad refreshing because the kind of access we get to the Golden Knights players, they could all be auditioning for the starring role in the Bubble Boy episode of the Seinfeld. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and and especially, <laughs> especially now with, uh, you know, the guys that actually do like to talk and do like to say anything are all gone from the room. So it is it is nice to have somebody that will speak. And I guess what he's saying is he's he's basically cautioning other athletes against being open about mental health because he's saying that, hey, teams will be scared of you and your potential to blow up and they won't you know, commit to you long term. It, it makes some sense on some level. Uh, I know S Steve's concern, I think, more is you don't have to put everything out there all the time. Like not everybody has to know yeah. all of your thoughts. You don't have to be on Twitter 24 hours a day. I would argue I do. And I feel like maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah, but, you, but, but you're you, you're not, you're not a freak. You're not the freaking goalie for the Vegas Golden Knights right. where people are already targeting him because they love flurry mm -hmm. I, to me after every loss, if you're on social media, sparring with fans, it's just like, I just don't see that as productive. It's not just Brian. Losses. He's there with wins too. Okay. I think it's very dangerous, Brian. The, the only thing that's a tad odd about it is, and I laughed at this. When they were up in the bubble and, you know, we keep going back to this, the DeBoer picture with the sword in his back. <laughs> and then, he, you know, he comes up there and he says, the Vegas media created this. Like, this is literally <laughs> Primrose Lane around here. I mean, honest to God, it's lollipops. You know, please, the Vegas media, it's a walk in the park for these guys around here. So, you know, obviously he's a little thin-skinned on, on that front. I, I, I don't mind a guy that's out there being vocal. Uh, and we're not in the room, right? I mean, the, your fear, Steve, I get it, is, you know, at some point, does it go too far? Does it become a distraction in the room? And then, because we're talking about the room, you said it, all the real jovial, friendly, media-loving, outgoing guys are gone. Huh. Brian Blessings with us, Sports Grade Radio, a lot of gambling talk on the show, Sirius XM 204. All right, give us some uh, philosophies on uh, playing the preseason, betting the preseason. Are you someone who bets the preseason? We hear all the time, hey, there's a lot of information. You can actually get an edge on the books with all this info. Yes. I mean, not like, you know, bananas, but I think there are some things that make sense. Thankfully, okay, had, had Pittsburgh in the under, you looked at the quarterback rotation and the Hall of Fame game is just a train wreck. I mean, they run, let's please go home before somebody else gets hurt. Now, this preseason, I think, is going to be really interesting. That I personally, I wouldn't put starters in at all. I really wouldn't. I mean, a series at most, why expose them to injury? You're playing an extra game this year. So, again, the, the one we all know, the quarterback rotations, I could see points in the Raiders game. Maybe Adam could give us the, the skinny here. What have the Raiders said? Are we seeing a healthy dose of Mariota? And laugh if you want. Peterman could put points on the board in the preseason and geno smith could probably do the same i would look for maybe points in the raiders game uh points on the board for both teams right yeah yeah i think that you could have interceptions you could go uh crazy with it I, I would say it's a little bit i guess concerning might not be the right word Derek carr said today he doesn't know if he's playing he hasn't been told yet 
Um, that to me means he's not playing. Right. Uh, the Raiders brought in a fourth quarterback yesterday, which screams to me that we may not see Carr or Mariota okay. in this game. Yeah. And that, and I don't know anything about that. I'm just saying, why would you bring in a quarterback right before the first game that they might throw Case Cookus in there for you know half the game or something, which would be kind of crazy. All right, then another game. Obviously, you know I'm going to be paying attention to it. But I mean, in terms of betting it, Buffalo and Detroit, the totals 37. The Lions say they're going to be playing their starters. Dan Campbell is throwing bonfires for the fans at practices. <laughs> this guy's out of his mind. Lions and starters then, are playing all four quarters. <laughs> mother of God! I mean, really. But but, you, but then you got to think about it. If this is a true reboot for Trubisky in his career and they want to give him some work because he's not going to see the light of day unless Allen gets hurt, you're probably talking about the Lions starters on offense, the Bills defense, any of their starters aren't going to be anywhere out there, and Trubisky likely plays a lot in the first half. I think you get points in that game, but maybe specifically you get points and go over the total in the first half of that game. Um, I mean, I'm, I'll tell you the game I'm betting right now. I'm betting Denver. Uh, on the road against Minnesota. Minnesota's quarterbacks have barely even been in camp. Denver has a quarterback competition going on. I imagine Locke and Bridgewater play most of the game. I, I got to think Denver's a good play. I agree. And maybe I'm not sold on Dallas. I know you guys love the hard knocks. I watched the hard knocks thing last night. Usually having <laughs> a game under your belt is a big deal. Dallas, I mean, man, this is about keeping these guys upright and healthy. And I'm not so sure about them, but I do believe Pittsburgh having a game under their belt, their quarterback rotation, it's not a bunch of world beaters. Philly, I don't know if they're going to be a dumpster fire. They're in the NFC East, but I think the advantage to me more so for Pittsburgh having a game under your belt, Pittsburgh catching a point, I'd probably be looking at the Steelers. Brian, good spot, man. We'll uh, catch up with you soon. I hope you win some games. Hey, always a great time, except... You know, you always ruin my dinner with the lead-in, but that's all right. <laughs> There's always some gross, some fruit loop. gross, gross food <laughs> mentioned. Thanks, Brian. See you. There is Brian Blessing, uh, Monday to Friday, Sirius XM, Channel 204 at Sports Grid Radio, and you can hear him uh, locally here on K-Shop. Good uh, football breakdown and some NHL there. Yeah, I am uh, I'm not real bullish on the Cowboys for a lot of reasons. Jerry Jones is one of them, Mike McCarthy is another, and believe it or not, Dak Prescott. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.